This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Ryan England. And today I am with the founders of The Money Advantage. They actually have really great stories on why they do what they do and why they got into this. You see, for so many business owners, we forget that our businesses need to be managed, especially financially. And there are so many different philosophies and so many different experts talking about, oh, do this and invest here and invest in that. But what it really comes down to, I believe, and I think our guests believe, is that there is a mindset around this. Whether that is escaping the scarcity mindset and that money is just something that's hard to come by, whether it's moving to an abundance mindset and understanding that money is something that can really go to work for you, for your business, and for your family. And they've got great stories, and I'm going to ask them to share a little bit about why they do what they do. But I want to welcome today's show, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Thank you for being here today. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan, for having us. Yeah, Ryan, we're looking forward to this. Let me ask this question real quick. Why do each of you do what you do? I know we want to help business owners and help them with generational wealth and those kinds of things, but why? I came from a situation of poverty and scarcity mindset growing up, and it took me a long time. I'm obviously the oldest one on this podcast, but it took me a long time to overcome that. And now I have a great life, and I'm trying to shorten that period of people overcoming that scarcity mindset and realizing that we all kind of understand what we understand from where we live and the information we're getting. We're making decisions based on the information we have at the time that we're making those decisions. So you shouldn't beat yourself up. So mine is to shorten people's time of understanding that there's a bigger box out there, a bigger world out there. Start living in abundance, huh? Absolutely. Love it. How about you, Rachel? I went into business because I wanted financial freedom for my own family. I learned so much along the way. I had no idea entrepreneurship was going to be the best personal growth mechanism in the entire world. And where I stand today, I want my kids to be very wealthy. I want them to have access to things that I did not growing up. And I want them to be able to choose how to spend their time and really contribute fully and be the most that they can be. And in order to do that, I need to be the model. I need to be the example for them. And they need to see what's possible because of what I create. That is great. So let me ask, what is one of the biggest myths about your industry? I shared a little bit of stuff around mindset, but but what do you believe is one of the biggest myths out there surrounding this idea of financial planning or financial advisement for your business? Well, I'll jump in right here. I think it's so interesting that you asked this question. There are so many myths around money. I think saying what's the biggest one is, I mean, the first that comes to mind really is that wealth is all about just money. We think it's the dollars. We think it's the dollar in the bank account. We think it's the dollar in the retirement account. We think it's just a dollar and true wealth is really about human flourishing. True wealth is really about making sure that you are at your best in every area of your life. And money is just a small part of that. But that would be probably one of the first myths. Bruce, I know you have one that you talk about all the time as well about where we invest our capital. Can you talk about that one? 
Yeah. So um, if you're listening and it sounds like you're going to be a business owner, what I see in the financial planning industry is you meet with somebody, you're thinking, oh, first of all, you're in your business all the time and you're, you're in the grind and so on and so forth. And you could probably use some business consulting, some business coaching to make sure it's not a grind to you. But unfortunately, we've been taught, especially my generation, we've been taught it's not valuable unless you grind it out and you're working really, really hard. And so that's probably one myth. But then the other myth is, hey, you're going to want to retire one day. So then you meet with a financial planner and that financial planner says, hey, the best way to get you retired is to actually put a lot of money into a cost-deferred plan. And I say to that, well, let's just do a little thought experiment. Do a little thought experiment here. If you had $50,000 to put into a SEP IRA for your business, what would the rate of return that you would like to have on that money? That's up to you, whatever you want to say. But typically, people say, well, I'm hoping over you know, the long run, I'd get 7 to 10%. And then I say to the person, what if you took that $50,000, it just magically appeared, and you put it into your business? What kind of rate of return would you expect in your business? And inevitably, business owners say, wow, if somebody gave me $50,000, I know I could turn that around to 20 or 25% rate of return in my business. And then I try to just be quiet to let the little men in their head say, wow, that doesn't make any sense. And what happens even further here, Ryan, is what they don't realize is they're actually pulling valuation out of their business too. Because if they're able to grow their business, if you do want to retire down the road, your business valuation is going to be based on how much you've grown your business. And so let that marinate in your head a little bit. I think the biggest thing that a person in business does is pull money out of their business and put it in place that it's not accessible and it doesn't provide immediate or cash flow in the fairly near future. You're putting money into prison and you have to ask yourself, and we talked about this earlier, you have to ask yourself, who is that benefiting? Is that really benefiting you or is it benefiting the person with the narrative that they're telling you? And by the way, Ryan, that person may not be a bad person. They're just taught by some corporation how to preach that narrative. They probably don't even think about it either. I've told people before, if I knew how much managing money was required to be a business owner, before I got into business ownership, I would have gone and worked for someone else and let them deal with all the money stuff. Because there's just so much not to just think about, but planning and making sure we're investing right. You know, I shared this earlier. My financial advisor said, hey, the best investment you can make with extra cash right now is in your business. And with what we do in helping people hire, especially frontline, but we also get involved in some of the management positions as well. When we're helping them build out their teams and really growing the business, one of the things we always find is that they don't want to let go. And Bruce, you had mentioned this, they grind it out. That's what we're taught to do. We grind, 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 grind. Well, the problem is, is if you grind it out until you're 65 and then you want to sell your business because that was your retirement, you're the business. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're in their early 60s and they're like, I want to sell in two years and I just can't find people. So my business is stagnant. So it's not getting the valuation I want. And then they get the valuation and they find out that without them there, the business isn't worth a whole lot. Some assets and maybe a customer list. And so that idea that we need to just grind, I think that's rooted in, Bruce, what you said, it's this scarcity mindset, right? Like if I'm not there to do it, it's not going to get done. And there's so much around mindset when it comes to money. So what is one thing that you think holds business owners back? I mean, we have this myth, but what is it that they're doing or not doing that's keeping them from being able to realize the value that they have in their business? We're big Dan Sullivan followers. 
And we believe that you have to focus on finding the unique ability of everybody to employ unique ability teamwork. And you're part of that team. So you should not be doing everything in the business. Your job is to work on the business. Nothing I ever say I don't think is ever original, you know. One of the things that business owners oftentimes feel like is they're working on the airplane while it's actually flying, and they're just trying to keep it flying. And what they don't realize is it would probably be better if they actually hired a pilot, a couple of flight attendants, a couple of maintenance people to work on the ground, because you're probably pretty good at every one of those things, but you're not the best. I actually came out of the world of education, and I taught for 17 years, and I use this analogy. As we go up into higher education, which business owners should be trying to do that, right? Grow their business from the ground going up. A math teacher can teach science because they've had some science in their life. They could teach English because they've had some English in their life. But I don't want my son or daughter learning from a math teacher teaching science and English. So you've actually got to find people that are good in those particular areas if you want to thrive and send people off just like we're trying to grow citizens in our society, the best that they can possibly be. Same thing in your business. If you want your business to be the best it possibly be, you need specialists in these areas by utilizing unique ability teamwork. Yeah. And Ryan, I would say just to add on to that, I think the number one thing keeping business owners stuck is that they haven't transitioned across Robert Kiyosaki's quadrant from the idea of being self-employed, where I know what I'm doing. I know this work. I know this field. And so you're a specialist or a technician in the field, but being a specialist or a technician is being self-employed. Truly owning a business is running an operation that relies on people and systems and processes to have a self-perpetuating business that you are in charge of, in control of, but not doing all of the pieces. One of the biggest challenges we have when I'm talking to business owners, especially when they're smaller, is, and I ask this question, are you still in the truck? So we do a lot of work with the trades and home services. And are you still in the truck? And they're like, some of them are like, yeah, because I have to, because I'm short staffed. Or some of them are like, yeah, I just can't seem to get myself out of it. Or I just love being in the truck, right? Like they've created a job for themselves. And I found that the gap that they have to bridge from being in the truck to being out of the truck, you know, moving from self-employed to more of that entrepreneurship or business ownership, that bridge is so big and so complex sometimes that it's almost a problem that I actually am at the point where I'm like, I don't know that that can be solved. Like if that's what they want, that's where they're going to be. And I think one of the things that comes up out of this is that they're in this belief that my time is equal to money. And so if I'm not in the truck, I can't get a paycheck. And so the only way money comes out of the business for themselves is if they're in the truck doing the work. But I think that's something that you believe also holds people back is that they don't learn how to manage the money and be able to pay themselves well so that they can continue to grow their business. Is that fair? Oh, yes. I just want to share something here. I think so many times business owners get stuck doing $10 an hour tasks. And because we spend all of our time putting out fires and doing all the things that are at the lower end of what's required in our job, we don't free up our mental space to think about the big problems that need to be solved and think about the systems differently and think about what people we need to hire, Ryan, like you talk about here as well, and think about how they can grow because you have to step away and you need to hire the people who can do those $10 an hour tasks because as a business owner, you need to think of your time 
as $100 an hour, $500 an hour, $1,000 an hour, $5,000 per hour. And if you think about your time being worth more and you hire out the things that are using up your time that are not the best use of your time, you'll have more free space to think and to strategize so that you can grow. And then that requires paying the person to do the task. And it requires paying yourself to do the task as well. I would say Mike Michalowicz is fantastic at this. I'm sure that you are familiar with Profit First and the idea of having that profit account and paying yourself. That's a huge piece because if you're in business and you're just trying to make ends meet, you're just trying to serve the one next customer, you're just trying to stay open tomorrow, you're not having this long-term view of my business is in operation to build my life that I wanted in the first place and to bless and serve other people to contribute to their lives. You need to think long-term so you can be sustainable. There's only been a couple of books that have really had a huge impact on me and Profit First was one of them, but it wasn't until I read Profit First for Contractors by Sean Van Dyke that really hit me. And he talks about the craftsman cycle, which is we go out and we get the business and then we go do the business. And then we go out and get the business. And some people call it the revenue roller coaster, entrepreneurial roller coaster. It's all the same thing. But he talks about that concept of the craftsman cycle. And even if I'm doing $100 an hour work and I'm the only one doing that work, my business has a lid on it. There's only so much revenue I'm ever going to be able to make at $100 an hour work. What I need to do is I need to go find a bunch of people that can do $25 an hour work and go hire 50 of them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, now my business can really grow. So but I think that for a lot of people that that first step in saying, hey, I'm going to take money out of the business and pay me first, not only is it scary, but often it doesn't pencil. Like I've learned that. Like I do the math and I'm like, there's not this percentage to take out every month and still pay the bills. But I have found and I've talked to enough people to find that that does work. So let's talk about that mindset component for a minute, because I think that's important. And I know that you spend a lot of time thinking about this mindset piece. What are some of these beliefs that people hold on to that really they need to let go of so they can move from scarcity to that mindset of abundance and knowing that this business can do so much more for them? There's so much here, Bruce. I'm just going to open the door and I'll let you take it from there. The idea of scarcity is wired into our DNA. We think everything's a limited resource. We think that if you win, I'm going to have to lose. If I win, you're going to have to lose. If I make more money, somebody else is going to lose out and I'm taking money or stealing off the table from them. That is absolutely a false way of thinking. Instead, we need to recognize something huge, that money is created by providing value. If you use your unique ability to serve others, you're going to create money, which is going to improve the world for everyone else. The next piece is that we have so many people telling us what to do. Bruce, you talked about noise earlier. We need to recognize that there are people saying, pay off your house and be completely debt-free. They have an agenda. Well, they want money in their control. You have people saying, invest with me. I'm going to get you better returns on your retirement account. You're going to have more retirement dollars. What's their agenda? Well, they want control of your capital. You can hear from the bank. Oh, put all your money in the bank. What's their agenda? They want control of your capital. There is a common theme that there's everybody else wants control of your capital. And that is a huge piece that we need to take over in this abundance thinking that I should be in control of my own capital and I'm the best person to do that. Bruce, I'll let you take it from there. So Ryan, I'm a biology major and I have a master's degree in biology. That's from my educational background. And Rachel's absolutely right. We are actually wired in a flight and fright way for our species to survive. 
And so we do have to fight this scarcity mindset because that's how we were developed as an organism. It's like, but we have to become hunter-gatherers because we have to actually try to find these things on a daily basis because we don't know if there's going to be any more of those. And that has persisted in our way of thinking, even though we don't have to hunt and gather anymore. And so what you do as a business owner then is you have to say to yourself, am I strong enough to get out of this mindset? And many people are, if that's the only thing they had to focus on, but they have to focus on everything else, hopefully their family, hopefully their health, and then of course their business. And I shouldn't say don't have to, they do have to then make a concerted effort. Well, we tend to then put that on a back burner when we have all these other things flying around. And that's why I would advocate having somebody just like you have, you should have a business coach. You should have somebody that's helping you with your health, whether it's a doctor, dietitian, or alternative medicine person. You should have somebody that's a mindset coach for you that helps you along the way. It's an imperative part of your overall health. And the other thing Rachel and I always say is we don't like this work. This may be surprising, Ryan, because you may have had other people on the show that talk about this. We don't believe in work-life balance. We don't believe in it. And people say, what do you mean you don't believe in work-life balance? You've got to have your life under control and you have to have your work. Well, we believe that it's just life. There is no work and there is no family or life over here. It's all life. So you have to set your life up. You don't just say, well, I'm working uh, from six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night, and then I'm shutting it off and I'm going to go with my family. Well, you should be setting your business up so that if you have to, you can easily go pick your daughter or your sick daughter up at the school and attend to her. Or your wife says, hey, I'd really like to have lunch with you on Wednesday and talk about a few things that you just, oh, that's not even a problem. I'm just going to put that in my schedule. It's no big deal. But what we've told is work-life balance. You've got to schedule your work. You've got to schedule your life. And I think that's where a lot of these stresses come out with mindsets because we've been taught by people. I shouldn't be saying we've been taught. We've got these little sound bites and our life has been reduced to sound bites. None of that is more evident than what we're going through with COVID right now. It's all about little sound bites by whether it's the CDC, whether it's by our government, whether it's by the World Health Organization, whether it's by people that are selling masks, it's all really quick sound bites. And you've got to overcome these sound bites. I know you talk a lot about generational wealth. And I think that's something that as business owners, we need to be thinking about pretty much since the day we start, thinking about how do we turn this into something that's going to outlive me. But in the work that I do in helping people hire the millennials, like we've all got a millennial joke about them being entitled or lazy or whatever that is. And I think that we just need to understand that the generations just view work differently. When the boomers were being raised by their parents who survived the Great Depression, they were taught, hey, you need to hoard, you need to protect things, you need to do this, you need to find a company that you can work for for 30 years, and retire with a pension and take social security and do all those things. Well, then the boomers live through some great party times and they're like, we don't need all this. So what did they do? They started teaching their kids, the Gen Xers, and the millennials, you do whatever you want. You be whoever you want. You pursue your dreams because the world is a different place now. You don't have to worry about this protection and this scarcity mindset. Like what if the bottom drops out again? And so we raise an entire generation that basically believes that work is there only to support their lifestyle. And we talk about this. We see a lot of memes around millennials saying, hey, by the way, on Monday, if I don't need money, by the way, I'm going to want to take that day off. 
right? Like, because my life is more important to me. And one of the things we work on is changing this mindset about the way millennials and the modern workforce really think about work. And we call it work-life integration. So instead of, there is no work-life balance. It's not like we try to figure out how we balance the two. It's like we integrate it. And like you were saying, Bruce, I need to take a Wednesday afternoon off. My work is flexible enough that I can do that. Or maybe even understanding as employers, sometimes we need to give employees that flexibility as well if we want them to stay committed. But we also have to understand that most of the modern workforce thinks of it as, well, if I take Wednesday afternoon off, maybe after the kids go to bed on Wednesday night, I'll put in a couple extra hours to catch up. And that's not really balance. That's integration. It's figuring out how my work and my life integrate with each other. Ryan, there's so much around this. I'm going to share here. I think there's the challenge is we can not recognize scarcity as scarcity sometimes. Scarcity on one end of the spectrum says, I have to save every dollar. I can never spend anything because the bottom might drop out. But scarcity on the other side of the spectrum spends everything because they're afraid of running out of time and not getting to enjoy that money. And the problem is the super spender that consumes everything is just as much of a scarcity mindset as the person who saves every dollar and hoards it under the bed, under the mattress, in the coffee can, in the freezer, wherever. So both of those are based out of fear. Abundance is a faith perspective that truly is a good steward of resources. And to be a good steward, you have to first recognize that money is something that is a tool. We're meant to be able to grow it, manage it well. And then this whole generational component is we need to not only be able to pass wealth on into future generations, but we need to equip future generations to understand how to manage and use money, not just spend it, but to grow money. And if we think of this stewardship component That's a huge calling then for each of us to really figure out how to invest well in the next generation. And as we're talking about this whole work-life integration, I think it comes down to really starting with saying, what is my value system? What are my values? What is my mission and my vision, my purpose in life? And if you get really clear on what you're wanting to create, then you can line up your life with that. If you're just going through work to say, oh, I'm going to work so that I can spend the money and you're just spending time with your family so that you can go back to work the next day, that's really short-sighted view. Instead, if you say, what do I really want to create? What home life do I want? What type of family do I want to create? Then you're in a position to have work that supports that and have family be integrated in work and think of life more as this life integration. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you both a question that has been a really hot topic in my circles lately. It's finance related, so but it's also people related. So one of the things that a lot of people are talking about right now is everybody wants to make way too much money for the same job. Wages are going up and there's this scarcity mindset of I can't afford to pay more. And so a lot of the forums that I'm on in the chat rooms are everybody asking like, how can I get people to come over to my company knowing I'm not paying the market wage even? I'm paying $11 an hour still. I'm paying $15 an hour still. What are your thoughts or what's some advice you could give our listeners that are struggling with this? Wages seem to be going up in the industry, but I don't know how I'm going to make that pencil, how that's going to work paying higher wages. What are some things they can think about to push through that? Well, I'm going to start from a biological component again. There's something in the biology ecology called the climax community. 
And the Climax community basically talks about how many resources can be in a community. Well, economics is the same way. It's like how many resources do you need to produce a product or service? And then how many resources do you need to actually bring in capital to actually consume those products and services? And I'll give a real quick example because I came from a farming community. So we had a lot of like wooded prairie areas. From a biological perspective, there's only so many organisms that can be on an acre of land and because there's so many resources. But it doesn't stay the same. In other words, if there's 50 rabbits on an acre, it doesn't stay constant like five rabbits die every day and five rabbits are born every day. It ebb and flows. And then you put something into that resource area, that acre that was unintended, like a coyote came and, and ate 15 of them. And then all of a sudden, the population drops. And then all of a sudden, you might have a situation where you have a lot of rain and a lot of the resources grow and now can sustain a lot more rabbits. And so the rabbits grow, but then all these rabbits then consume a lot more of the resources. And now a lot of rabbits die from starvation. But eventually, you reach what they call a climax community. So you go up and down, up and down, and then it's those peaks and valleys start to smooth out. Well, the economy is the same way. So we are in a situation right now from a variety of reasons that the worker, the labor cost is going up. And it's not going to go up at the same rate that it has been going up. But that's like all of a sudden the rabbit population goes up. And so business owners then have to figure out where is that ebb and flow coming in, that climax community ecosystem for their particular business. And it may not be that you just say, well, I'm going to pay $20 an hour instead of $15 an hour I was paying. And that's going to put a, then your scarcity mindset comes in and says, well, I can't charge more for my product or my service because people will stop using it. Well, first of all, I think you need to be honest with the people you're hiring and you need to be honest with the people that are using your goods and services. I have a couple of businesses and one of them is a retail barbecue place. And when prices went up, we simply made signs that said, due to the increased food costs, we're increasing the prices on these particular items. Sorry for the inconvenience. And the response was very nice. People were saying, hey, we understand. I mean, they would verbally say that. I can't believe some people were even saying, I can't even believe you guys kept the prices low this long. So I'm a really big believer that the business owner just has to communicate with their people why something is happening. And the same way when you're hiring, you say, well, we're offering $18 an hour, but for that $18 an hour, you're going to get XYZ. You're going to get the ability to call in anytime, whatever the parameters are, once a quarter and say, I'm taking a mental health day. You don't have to give a reason. You're still going to get paid. And it can be at any time, five minutes before you have to start work. Or you say, hey, I can't, I have some issues going on and I'm just going to stay at home for right now and do my work from at home. Now, there are obviously there's certain industries you can't do that, work from home, but you have to be creative and tell the person, Yes, you're only getting X amount of dollars, but look at all the other, and not just the financial benefits like health insurance, retirement benefits, so on and so forth, but the other things that allow you to integrate this work-life integration and the employees will respond. They really will. Yeah, I think employment benefits are so much more than just compensation. If you can think about the 
way that you can help them feel your employees feel valued, feel that you understand their needs, that they have a place to belong, that they feel like they're in a tribe or in a community that sticks together, that is for each other. Those types of the affinity that you have from an employee is much more than just the paycheck that they're getting. The other thing I would say is raise your prices. If you're the business owner and you have additional capital that's going to be going out to be able to retain the quality of labor that you need to be able to deliver on the promise that you have. I mean, I'm sure that none of you are in business to say, well, let's do the cheapest job possible. You're saying, well, what's my unique selling proposition? What is the way that I deliver that's better than anyone else? Maybe I'm faster than the other HVAC company. Maybe I'm more upfront and I communicate more fully and with transparency to my clients, whatever that unique selling proposition is, in order to be able to fulfill that, you may need higher quality labor to be able to do that. And you may need to raise your prices so that you can hire the better employees as well. Ryan, can I give you a quick example of a trade that I recently used? Sure. My dishwasher broke at my house. And so I got online, the pair Missouri repair specialist for dishwashers. And the first one that pops up was a Sears repair. I didn't even know they were still available, Sears repair. And they have a calendar and I couldn't get it repaired for like two weeks. So I click on it anyway, because I'm thinking, well, what if everybody's like that because of COVID? So I click on it. I set an appointment. They tell me it's going to be a $149 service charge. And this is two weeks out. I'm just telling you, because Rachel said, raise your prices. Two weeks out. So then I'm like, oh, well, let me see if I can find somebody else. So I found somebody who was kind of a local person and I call them and they say, oh, well, we can be there. Well, it's kind of late today. Would you mind if I'm there tomorrow morning? And I said, well, no, that would be great. And they said, well, also our service charge is $89, but we want to make sure you understand that's just for us to come. There may be some additional charges. So their service charge was $89 and they're getting there the next morning. The big corporation was $149 and they're not getting there for two weeks. So obviously they're booked. So the guy shows up. It was simply a wire had burned through a, a wire nut. He takes a new wire nut, puts it on. He says, it only took me five minutes, but we have a minimum charge of 15 minutes. I hope you don't mind. And he says, I didn't even charge you for the wing nut. And I'm like, oh, are you sure that's okay? Or you have to call in? I want the owner because I'm always worried about business owners. I want the owner to be happy with this. He goes, well, I am the owner. I said, I can't help you because I do a lot of business consulting. I just want to let you know what your competition's doing. I said, I actually couldn't get an appointment for two weeks and they're charging $149. So obviously people are paying it or they wouldn't be booked up for two weeks. And you're charging $89 and you're here the next day. And he goes, yeah, but I can't raise the prices on my loyal customers. And I said, well, no, I actually think your loyal customers would appreciate it if you would raise the prices so you could stay in business and thrive and feel good. And he couldn't grasp that concept. I thought I would just share that because I know you have a lot of trades people because that is reality and they need to start thinking differently about that. Your customers want you to be in business. They want you to thrive, not just survive. So grasp those things in life and look at your numbers and compare to your competition. And don't be afraid to charge because you're really good. So Bruce, that guy could have said $200 and he could have had another guy go out, not the business owner, paid that guy 89 and he could have got, I don't know, 111 for his profit account. I mean, that's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. You got to understand what the market is doing for sure. I agree with you so much, Bruce. I believe that your customers want you to win. They really do. They want you to win. 
And not the, I win, someone else loses, but like we all win together, more of that collaboration. You know, one of the things we talk to our clients about is who can you ask for a referral for an employee? Cause it's so hard to find employees right now. And I'm like, well, this person, I'm like, what about your customers? And I can't tell you how many times people are like, I can't ask my customers. They can't know that I need to hire people right now. What are they going to think? I'm like, well, they could think that you're growing and that hiring is difficult and you're asking them for help. Like they want you to win because they want you to be in business. They want you to be able to continue to take care of them. It was funny. You mentioned the barbecue place. One of my favorite barbecue places down here. We went there the other day and the cost of brisket went up $7 a pound from the last time I remember. And I was like, there's no notice. There's no sign. There's no nothing. But what do I do? Like I'm there and it's my favorite place to get brisket. So I pay the money. I think that so many business owners think, well, if I raise my prices, I'm going to lose a bunch of customers. No, you're only going to lose a bunch of customers if you're a jerk. <laughs> like That's how you're going to lose customers. They want you to be in business. I would be devastated if they went out of business because I'm like, where am I going to get my brisket now? So there's so much to that. And I think it's so much about this abundance mindset. And I loved how you started it, Rachel, where you're talking about generational wealth and how it's more than just the money. And that only comes from having that abundance mindset. So I know that you have a book coming out. I know it's not out yet. But I do want you to get to play a little bit because I know people are going to be listening to this a lot. So tell us a little about the book that's coming out. And then you also have a free offer for our listeners. Is that right? Yes. So let me wrap this all into one for you. So the book came out of a near-death experience for me. This was a little over two and a half years ago. In May of 2019, I delivered my second daughter and had major complications afterwards. And I almost didn't make it. And at the time, I'd been in financial services industry, the financial services space for a long time. We had our estate plan in place, which is something that I highly recommend any business owner, any person really go look at doing an estate plan. We had our estate plan. We had as much life insurance as we could get, both my husband and I, which I highly recommend every single person look at getting as much life insurance as you can, your human life value. That means as much benefit as you can get. I had both of those things. But what I realized is that if I hadn't made it, I had a brand new baby girl and a seven-year-old daughter. She was almost eight at the time. If I hadn't, what would have been in place besides my husband, of course? I mean, none of our lives are guaranteed. What would our daughters have done if they were given this transfer of money, financial capital, even though there's an estate plan and there's the money in place, what if they received that and they didn't have the guidance to know exactly what to do with it spelled out and the values and the vision and the mission for our life written down so that they would be able to do all the things that we dreamed of doing with them, even if we weren't here. And so that really set my husband, Lucas, and I really on this trajectory for several years, just really figuring out what do we do in our own family to make sure that we're leaving a legacy that's not just money, but how are we passing on the meaning and the values and helping our kids become stewards and truly grow so that they can be everything that they're created and called to be. And so we realized that not only was this helpful for us, but how could we help other people to really step into living this legacy, creating generational wealth that's not just money, but it's also meaning. It's not just the finances, but it's also the values. And so this book that I have coming out, it's in the editing stage right now. So we're within, I'll say the next several months for a launch timeframe. It's called Seven Generations, Designing a Multi-Generational Legacy of More Than Money. 
And it walks through the three pillars, the meaning and the mechanism and the money, the three things that you need in place to make sure that your gift and your contribution to the next generation is truly going to accomplish your goals for them. So it's really a almost a passion project for me and this beautiful way of recognizing that my work was so meaningful to my everyday life. So that is coming out soon. We also have the, I'm going to make sure that I say it exactly right, the insider's guide to earning a return in two places at the same time with the same money. That is available at privatizedbankingsecrets.com. And if you just go straight there, it'll be the first thing that pops up and you'll be able to grab that guide. Really, this walks you through the basics of understanding how to be the business owner that stores capital, keeps money in your control, and then is able to use that money to improve the rest of your financial life. Something that we do often is called infinite banking. And this is really a bare bones, super simple, pared down introduction to what infinite banking is all about and why controlling your capital is so valuable to you. So you can get that at privatizedbankingsecrets.com. Awesome. And we will have that in the show notes. And I'm sure once the book comes out, if you send me the URL to get the book, I will update those show notes as well with that. Rachel and Bruce, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. Sometimes I steer away from financial conversations because it gets a little too technical, but I love your take on the mindset of money and just thinking about abundance, how you can really put that back to work for you and really create a business that you're not only excited about, but is actually working for you. So amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And for those of you that are listening, make sure you go check out that Privatized Banking Secrets and grab that free download. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure being with you today. Thank you, Ryan. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.